0: history where data is becoming the new currency. beyond oil, dollars and social status. Data is emerging as one of the most powerful and consequential currencies around the globe. Technology, computer processing, cloud storage, and artificial intelligence are empowering these data to transform zeros and ones into insightful and even profound realizations about almost every aspect of our lives. I'm John Nosta. And this is FutureDose.Tech with your hosts, Dr. Timothy Ungst and Megan Chilcott. Technology, pharmacy, and better healthcare delivery. By creating more efficient, higher quality concierge-like pharmacist services, we can transform from the pharmacist of yesterday into the future provider of pharmacy tomorrow. FutureDose.tech is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, the global leader in pharmacy podcasting and the largest, most influential network of podcasts about the profession and business of pharmacy.
1: Greetings, this is Timothy Alex, founder of the Digital Apothecary, associate professor at NCPHS University, and I'm the host of The Futuredose, Dose, a podcast part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. So today I thought it'd be very interesting to talk about all the hype surrounding the recent uh, news coming from Apple about the new uh, Apple Watch Series 4. Now for those of you out there, you may own the Apple Watch, so this may be a very good update in terms of what to expect with the new series coming out in whether or not you want to upgrade, but along with that, to consider what are the implications that are coming out now, even for our patients. Because you see, there's been a bunch of new health issues that are now arising with how the Series 4 Apple Watch may be delivering care to patients. And I think that's probably been the big news as of late. So to start off with, I mean, there's some differences with the Series 3. And some of the things that are staying the same include the fact that the OS or operating system is still going to be OS 5. But the landscape seems to be a little bit different because the Series 4 is actually a larger device than the Series 3. So what you're going to see is that if you purchase the Series 4, it's actually going to be a little bit bigger. And there's some reasons for this. Apple decided that they thought a bigger device might be better for users in terms of interacting with the device. And that includes um, giving some more options to use apps and also because there's some new hardware in there. And some of these include a new accelerometer and gyroscope that's built into it. But perhaps most exciting is that not only do you have some new sensors, but you have a second-generation heart sensor that's built into the Series 4 Apple Watch. So you may be asking, well, what does that mean? And what it breaks down to is now the Apple Watch has been approved by the FDA to provide ECG readings. So how it would work is that a waveform can be generated after you tap on the crown of the Apple Watch, and within 30 seconds, this device would then spit out a recording, and it would analyze, interpret it, and let you know whether or not if your heart rhythm was normal or if there was some irregulatory function going on there. So what could that be? Um, The big thing that people were expecting is that this could help detect atrial fibrillation in the mass population. So, there's some considerations there, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about the Apple Watch itself and why some people might be getting into it. So, it's a little bit bigger, which is cool, and the price difference isn't too drastic depending on what you're getting so if you stick with the series 3 the price has dropped down to $279 for the wireless version and series 4 wireless version will be $399 these all have GPS sensors built into them but if you start going for a cellular enabled model you can expect to jack up about $100 to $200 and then there's also a little bit of varieties in terms of what kind of device um, hardware it's made out of Um, in terms of structure and whether it's a Nike series or not, and that will change some of the prices. But overall, we're looking at about $120 difference now for some new features built into, so you're getting a larger watch and also these health aspects to it. Now, coming back down to health aspects, what's rather curious is, not only do you have these ECG uh, waveforms that can be collected from the watch, but remember I talked about the fact that the watches now have a new accelerometer and gyro in them. So what does that mean? Well, it's kinda cool because Apple Watch is now going to add on a fall alert system. And what's really interesting is the fact is, what it's gonna do is that if it senses that a patient or basically any user that's wearing the Apple Watch falls down, if the watch remains in mobile for 60 seconds after a fall, it'll actually call an ambulance and notify any of your emergency contacts you have built into your phone. So, this is rather cool, because Apple Watch is now entering a field that does have a lot of people already in the market. Um, You could say that, you know, they've seen so many commercials out out there using people saying, help, I've fallen, and they press their emergency button, and then they get uh, rescued. And now Apple is offering a device that can do that. And theoretically, an Apple Watch should be always worn by the patient when awake and charging at night, so this may pose some benefit. And with an 18-hour battery life, you could argue that this is probably going to cover the most of the day. Nonetheless, there's some concerns here. So let's jump with the first one, which is ECG. I've really been enjoying the conversations that have been generating online. You have a lot of people praising Apple. You have people from different heart associations and medical groups saying this is going to be the new great wearable device for the population. Yes, you know, Fitbit and some other wearables have been tracking heart rate and can tell when someone has a, um, a faster heart rate than needed at rest and when exercising can see it. And it's cool for exercise and wellness, but you know, None of them have really been able to spit out and say, hey, you are in arrhythmia, you have atrial fibrillation that's active, you should get medical attention now. And that's where we're currently moving. So in the great emphasis of digital health and empowering patients to have access to data and to see how they are doing, we're moving to the next step. And Apple seems to be wanting to pave the way for this. Now. You have to call into question the what is the specificity and what is the sensitivity of the device. Because at the end of the day, we get really concerned about false positives. And reviewing that would be what happens if this device would theoretically tell a patient, hey, you have atrial fibrillation, seek medical attention, and they go into the ER, and then they send the ER for a few hours or depending, especially if they're maybe not too symptomatic. Or maybe they're asymptomatic, but this device has told them you have atrial fibrillation. No, no, you should probably get medical help. So they're going to wait in the ER or have called their doctor, and they're going to have to now schedule a follow-up visit. But they're going to be seen by some medical professional, most likely, and they're going to have to be treated and followed up for it. And so that's going to turn into more testing. That's going to turn possibly wearing a halter, or it's going to turn into um, having EKG done, you know, 12 lead in a clinic. And that's going to be kind of a linchpin because the best case scenario is Apple actually detected something and it was true and the patient is being treated for something that would not have been noticed otherwise except if they had worn this device. But the other concern is the fact that now this device is telling them they have a problem where there isn't one and now you trigger a false positive and you now clog up the medical infrastructure with patients seeking medical care where they never really needed it. And that's always the biggest concern that's being raised by a lot of cardiologists. And I've seen some funny tweets saying, oh, no, now to start generating these letters of how do I deal with patients coming into my office that are saying they have atrial fibrillation when they don't and damn this Apple Watch for all the problems it's now going to cause us. So it's it's been great seeing the media response because you have a lot of people who are very positive, but then there's a lot of very big people that you could either be very cynical or very pessimistic or being really realistic about how this may impact care. And the biggest concern is that it will end up leading to some basically unneeded treatments for patients, and it's gonna eat up time for clinicians in terms of addressing these needs. Now, you have to ask, you know, how big of this issue is it gonna be? I mean, how big um, could this problem lead to? And I've seen some interesting math. Some people predicted it could just be a few patients, but if you take a huge population, there could be thousands. And depending on where this happens, you know, this could be a this could be a really big issue. Then you also have to factor in is you know what's the population that are getting Apple Watches? Are they you know well and healthy patients who have the money to afford this, or are they going to be patients who are lower social economic class and may not have access to such care? So you know this is going to be all over the place, and I'm really curious to see how some researchers are going to look into this from a public health aspect going forward. And that actually brings me back to another thing. Apple isn't the first one to do this when you look at it. There was a company called Cardia that has been on the market for over five years. And they actually got to the market because what they did was they made a sensor that you could put on the back of your um, iPhone that you could put your finger on, and it's one lead EKG, and you could actually detect arrhythmias. And what would happen is it would record, take it, and it would send out to a cardiologist to be read and interpreted. And Cardia actually then made a wearable band that you could attach to your Apple Watch to do the same thing in real time. So the FDA has been approving this for a a long, long time and Cardia has been doing this and they've done some really cool stuff with it. One of my favorite things was actually they were using Australian pharmacies so pharmacists could basically do public health um, outreaches using Cardia to identify people in the population who had unnoted uh, atrial fibrillation and it seemed to have done some good work there. But I really haven't gone into the science of it in terms of seeing how many false positives they may have found that they didn't really need to do, and that's kind of been the same kind of issue going on now with the Apple Watch. But Cardia just released um, the fact that they have a six-lead EKG there coming out, and the FDA also just recently approved the Cardia to detect if people have a hyperkalemia or high potassium levels based on using their sensors. Uh, and this is interpretation of the EKG. So. There's a market here that's been brewing, and there's some competition. Apple's not the first one in this space. Cardia's been around and it has been doing a lot of work, and Apple is really going to try eating into them, I think. And it's funny because they've been supporting their app and their platform for a long time. And so I, I find it kind of ironic that this company's been relying on using Apple to get its product across and now apple's releasing another device that's directly a competitor with them and if you want to go you'll see on the media and you can see their executive uh, talking about all this and where they think they fit in the scale but i think it's going to just blow up with time
0: hey pharmacy podcast nation here's a quick message from our sponsors supporting the PPN qd
2: If you or your patients struggle with muscle cramps, spasms, soreness, or restless-like syndrome, you're going to want to hear about our non-opioid TheraWorks Relief. TheraWorks Relief is a clinically proven and published locally acting topical solution that prevents and relieves muscle cramps, spasms, and soreness in the legs and feet. In a research study including patients diagnosed with restless leg syndrome, TheraWorks Relief was shown to reduce symptoms commonly associated with accompanying RLS, including muscle cramps and spasms. Muscle cramps are reported as a side effect of hundreds of prescription medications, from intravenous iron sucrose and conjugated estrogens to statins and diuretics. By managing muscle cramps, Relief supports adherence, helping patients stay on important and often life-saving medications. Theraworks Relief comes in an easy-to-use, fast-absorbing, non-greasy foam that can prevent muscle cramps and spasms with just a few simple applications a day. To learn more about Theraworks Relief, go to theraworksrelief.com and click on the Healthcare Professional link.
1: The other one to consider is also The Life Plus, now if you haven't heard of this company, it's a rather new one, and there's not a lot of information out there, but what they've been saying is that they're going to bring a smartwatch to market, and this smartwatch is going to be called the Life Leaf, and the Life Leaf is going to do what I think is a bunch of outrageous things that if it actually works, is going to be amazing, and that includes, they are purporting that their device can measure blood glucose, heart rate, blood pressure respiration rate, and oxygen saturation. Now, this is really, really daunting because you can see a lot of interesting metrics and data that can be captured from a patient in real time with this. So, blood glucose would capture the diabetes or cardiometabolic population. Heart rate and blood pressure captures a lot of the, the um, cardiovascular population as well. Respiration rate and oxygen saturation may fall under asthma and COPD category too. So, We're seeing this wearable market really explode at this current time with people trying to figure out how to collect real-world data just through the wrist. And it's fascinating the number of sensors people are trying to put out. And even Apple has been said to be looking into how to use their device to capture blood pressure as well or blood glucose. And maybe that's what we'll see, maybe not with the Series 5, maybe not with the Series 6, but eventually we may see a Series 7, 8 Apple Watch that's going to have the ability to capture blood pressure. And there's other companies out there trying to do the same thing. You have Omron, which for a lot of pharmacists may be familiar, is a product they stock in their shelves that sells their blood pressure kits Um, that can be worn on the wrist or on the arm. And Omron's making the Omron Zero, which is a wearable wrist-mounted blood pressure device as well. So a lot of people are getting into it. So heart rate and heart rhythm, I think we're pretty much seeing this market now mature, where it just came from the original heart rate monitoring. But we're now moving into the blood pressure market. And the blood glucose market is a little odd. There's a bunch of different research and literature that's coming out about how to do it. But, I mean, you see the Freestyle Libre, you hear about Dexcom with their continuous glucose monitoring devices coming out that sync up to an iPhone or uh, Android-based device. So we know that's a field, and the big thing would be what happens if you can make a wearable wrist-mounted device that can do this. And then the gold standard will be what if you can just make a wrist-mounted device do all of this, and basically serve as a app-capturing device and such. So. Yeah, we're, we're definitely hitting a maturing space that is quite fascinating, I think, at the end of the day, and the Apple Watch and the recent news, I think it's just going to be the baseline information that we're going to see coming on in the future in terms of how people are going to approach and understand how this stuff so I think uh, what we've been seeing with these wearables and what Apple Watch is showing is the fact that you're seeing basically how the media and the in the medical professions are responding to how we're coming up with new sensors and wearables that are coming to consumers first, and how it may be approached by the medical space as they learn how to take this data and use it. I think that's kind of very interesting. Um, and I, I, you know, heart rhythm is one thing, but once we get to blood glucose, blood pressure, I think it's going to be even larger. Now, the other thing I want to talk about the Apple Watch is I mentioned the uh, Fall Alert. I think that's actually really kind of cool. And I think that's going to be something that we're going to see some huge competition as well. You have Best Buy who has just recently acquired Great Call. And Great Call has all those different um, phones and devices meant for older patients um, to have some electronic monitoring associated with it. So Apple is now coming out swinging against those guys as well. And I think this is going to be kind of the linchpin. Apple really wants to put these phones on a lot of people. I mean, these um, Apple Watches. And you have insurers now looking in terms of maybe we should just offer to all our patients an Apple Watch. And then we can collect data and we can collect wellness data, see how active they are, how much they move, but also collect background information with them as well. And if you can get the Apple Watch to measure all these other vitals and metrics for patients is probably going to be something that we see in the far future where patients are going to be encouraged by insurance companies to wear such devices and collect data. So where does this come back for pharmacy? I actually think this is something that's going to be rather interesting from a perspective of public health, but also opens up some interesting issues with wellness and with MTM because now we have the ability to have patients share data that they have been collecting in real time, and it may help make allow pharmacists to make recommendations, but it also allows some different aspects in terms of, let's say, safety. Because with wearable data, what you end up seeing is that, what if someone gets started on a new, let's say, beta blocker, and they have this, and you can see what their heart rate is, are going up and down when they start, but even blood pressure, if it comes to that point, you can see if a person gets on a new dose, and if they start taking their medication, Is their blood pressure going down too low that's not safe and at risk for falls and such? So I think this objective measurement of data might be something that pharmacy wants to consider in terms of how we may use it for either services we offer, whether in an ambulatory care setting or whether through medication therapy monitoring and management. So I think that's going to be quite fascinating here in terms of where we see this fall in the near future. In any event. I think it's going to be rather cool here soon and I'm really curious what the new series will come out and how all these other competitors will try to compete in the near future. So this is Timothy Youngs um, coming from you at Future Dose, a podcast part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Take care and have a good day.
0: Thank you for listening to FutureDose.Tech. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this podcast on your favorite social media outlets. Be sure to stay connected to the Pharmacy Podcast Network and return for your next FutureDose.Tech episode coming soon.